Come, Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Amen. When I graduated from Divinity School, I thought I wanted to veg out in front of the television for days on end and binge watch the TV shows that I had not watched in the last three years and the TV shows that everybody had been talking about. I thought maybe I would watch Downton Abbey or maybe I would re-watch all the episodes of The Office with my girls or maybe I would even go back and watch all the episodes of Seinfeld. But mostly, I wanted to watch the Netflix series, The Crown. Did you see it? Some of you did. Awesome. I thought a glimpse into the royal kingdom really intrigued me. I was 12 years old when Princess Diana married Prince Charles. I remember my mom setting the alarm clock. Y'all remember those alarm clocks that used to sit on your bedside? I think that I, uh, my mom probably woke me up about four o'clock in the morning to watch that wedding. I remember how beautiful Princess Diana looked and thought how fabulous it would be to marry a prince. So when I heard about everyone talking about the crown, I was super interested. The Crown, which aired on Netflix, is a historical drama that follows the life of the royals, specifically Queen Elizabeth II. It follows the political rivalries and the romance of the royal life and highlights that, have, that shaped the events of the second half of the 20th, 20th century. But I have to tell y'all, I didn't watch the entire series of The Crown, and I think I only got to the end of the first season. I'm really not a veg out in front of the TV kind of girl. And my dreams of being part of the royal kingdom were shattered in my teen years when I realized how difficult it would be to find a prince and then marry him. I think that Steve is as close to my prince as I'll ever get. Living in a kingdom, what would that be like? So today we find ourselves at the end of the church year, a day that we call Christ the King Day or the Reign of Christ Day. It seems a little strange while our hearts and minds are looking forward. I mean, for Pete's sake, I think Christmas music is already on the radio and Advent is next week. The end of another cycle of our church year ends today. The great green growing days of Pentecost are behind us. And today we are here to close out the year of church, the year B. We walked with Jesus this last year as he fed the hungry, as he healed the sick and the brokenhearted as he taught his disciples and us about the living water that nourishes our souls. And today, on this Christ the King Sunday, we choose a really odd gospel to honor the King, the gospel in which our King is sentenced to death. So what is Christ the King Sunday all about? 
you might be surprised to know that Christ the King is not a festival of great antiquity, supplying the church here with a neat punctuation from one season to another. In fact, the festival didn't emerge until the 20th century, and at first it had nothing to do with the end of the church year at all. Pope Pius XI established Christ the King Sunday in 1925 to counter what he regarded as the destructive forces of the modern world. Secularism in the West and the rise of communism in Russia and fascism in Italy and Spain and the indications of Nazism soon to seize Germany, Pope Pius intended to hold the rule of Christ against the tyrannical claims of these ideologies. I mean, I'm with you, Pope. When things are not going well, why not make a day to remind us and remind everyone who the real king is? Maybe it would solve all the problems of the world. Finally, there might be peace on earth and all would be well, right? Not. You know why it didn't work? Why one feast day didn't make things better? Because humans are involved and humans are sinners and kingdoms from this world just don't work. Systems cannot save us. Jesus can. Kingdoms have been around since the beginning. We all have some sort of idea what a kingdom is. And although what we know about monarchies today, in the ancient world, kings ruled people according to their own wishes and whims. They could promote one person and demote another. Those kings were all powerful. So now today we find ourselves in the midst of this trial narrative for Jesus. The religious leaders had condemned Jesus to death on religious grounds, but only, only the Roman government could grant Jesus the death penalty. So they took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor, and accused him of treason and rebellion crimes for which the Roman government gave the death penalty. Pilate saw at once that Jesus was innocent, but he was afraid about the uproar being caused by those religious leaders. So Pilate, trying to understand what was going on, asked Jesus if he is the king of the Jews. Jesus answers him with a question. Are you asking on your own or did others tell you about me? And Pilate says, I'm not a Jew. They handed you over to me. What have you done, Jesus? And Jesus answers, my kingdom, my kingdom is not from this world. Pilate thinks that Jesus is the one on trial, but on that day, Jesus turns everything upside down on its head like he always does. And Jesus puts the kingdoms of that world on trial. The world as we've seen it again and again is the source of evil 
in rebellion against God. Jesus is denying that his kingdom has an earthly or worldly origin or quality, but he is not denying that it has an earthly destination. That is why that Jesus came into the world himself and why he has sent and will send his followers into the world. His kingdom doesn't come from this world, but it is for this world. Jesus is for us, not against us. We live in a country and a world where people want Jesus to be the boss and to fix all the wrong things that are wrong in our personal life and in our country. We want Jesus to put the right person in the White House and in the Supreme Court, or we want Jesus to give us a certain job, or we might even want Jesus to give us an upfront parking space when we're shopping at the mall. But this worldly approach just doesn't work. Let's say for one moment, one moment, let's dream and say that our government was fixed. Finally, after all these years, let's say for one moment that it was fixed and we have our dream job or our dream retirement and that we pulled into the front parking space on Black Friday. Wouldn't that be great? And yet, we would still have our estranged sons or daughters or mothers or brothers. Cancer and heart disease would still take the people that we love. Addiction, anxiety, and broken hearts would still be prevalent. We would still have hungry children who needed to be fed And we would still allow fear to grip our hearts so that we lived afraid. Our kingdom, our government systems cannot save us. Only Jesus can do that. Our hope has to be in Jesus. Today, our church proclaims Christ the King. We announce that we bow down only to Jesus Christ. The church declares that it does not give allegiance to any other person, principality, or power to be sovereign. But do we? Are we working for God's good in this world? So as Jesus reminds us that his kingdom is not from this world, why not live in a way that reflects our king. Jesus is the king that loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood on the cross. And he has made us to be a kingdom and part of his kingdom. The cross is the most powerful expression of love this world has ever seen. The cross is the ultimate throne of the ultimate king of the promised kingdom of God. God's kingdom is a kingdom where the Holy Spirit renews the face of the earth. A kingdom in which God wipes away every tear. A kingdom in which love triumphs and hate 
will never exist. A kingdom that will bring all people together to serve and worship the God of love. A kingdom in which there is no sickness, no hunger, no fear or oppression, no sighing nor grieving, but only life everlasting. And Jesus invites all of us to be a part of his kingdom. All we have to do is believe in him. Thanks be to God. Amen.